Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars welcome to the penis project podcast today we have a very special guest who's way over the other side of the world in the uk on a 40 degree day i think in london we have rob who's written to us to share some of his own experiences after going through prostate cancer treatment rob thanks so much for joining melissa and i today good morning all right. Now, could you give us a little bit of background of what happened to you in 2019? Yeah, well, 2019 was uh, the year that I would like to forget. Um, it actually started back in 2018 for me. So I had noticed for three winters that I'd had a problem with going to the loo an awful lot. But it only happened in the winter. Uh, and I'd used Google, and Google had said the bladder's a, uh, a muscle and it contracts in the winter, so you will go to the loo more often. But by the third winter, I I was actually working for a hospital charity, and my boss was the um, chief fundraiser for prostate cancer. Oh. So I'd had a chat with her, and I'd read all the leaflets, because obviously she produced all the leaflets, and I didn't have any of the symptoms that are listed as the major ones for prostate cancer. But I thought, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'd never been offered a PSA test. I was 57 by then. Okay. So I thought I'd go to the doctor, mention what my problem was. She examined me and said my prostate was slightly enlarged, but nothing unusual given my age. Uh, we then discussed whether we should have a, a, pros- a PSA test, uh, and I did. Okay. And just before Christmas, the letter came to say that my PSA was slightly raised. It was five point something. I think it was 5.3. So they asked me to go back for another blood test. 
I decided to leave it till after Christmas, so went very early in the new year, 2019. Um, and I always remember this conversation. The nurse took the blood and said, it, it'll be a week before we get the results. She said, it won't be, but I always have to tell you that. Okay. She said, it'll be a couple of she said it'll be a couple of days. Well, actually, they rang me that night, ah. uh, and they said, um, "Get yourself down to the surgery tomorrow, and get yourself referred to the hospital," because it had gone up. I found out later to about eleven point five. Right, um, and yeah. then so then I started on the uh, MRI scan, uh, prostate biopsy, uh, and was then diagnosed with with prostate cancer. So then you went on to have the radical prostatectomy. Yes. Yeah, that was in June of 2019. Uh, not the robotic, uh, the good old-fashioned open surgery one. And you've written in the email, they went through the usual traumas of incontinence and impotence. <laughs> and we're not going to focus too much on the continence side of it, but you said the former now seems okay, but the latter has been a disaster. Do you know Yeah. Give us a little bit so, more. Yeah, the, in, the incontinence side, I'm basically 99.9% there. So I don't worry about that at all. Uh, the impotent side is basically 100% nil. Um, I tried Viagra. Uh, and in the early days, I expected, like I think most blokes, I took the tablet and waited for something to happen and, and then gave up waiting. Uh, the one night that my wife did say to me, are you okay? She said, you look a bit flushed. <laughs> um, and that was all that I got was flushing and a headache and it never touched the side. So uh, I then tried using a pump uh, and found that the pump does actually work. Um, the problem for me has been the added complication now of, of the lymphedema. Can I just ask you one question, Rob? How, you reached out to us to get you onto the podcast. Was that because you've been listening to the podcast? Yes, yep, I've been listening to your podcast. I was referred to you by one of the nurses from Prostate Cancer UK. Wow, that's great. Yep, she said that um, you had some podcasts which would be a direct relevance to me. Um, so I started listening to you and I recommended you to a friend of mine who's also gone through um, prostate cancer. So he's listened as well. Great, that's fantastic. Thank you. Sorry, I was being curious. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, but it, it, it's very difficult to get any information uh, on uh, on certain things over here, certainly connected with the lymphedema. So I've I've been in touch with my local hospital because lymphedema was never mentioned as a possible side effect from my surgery. Uh, they told you about impotence and they told you about incontinence, but lymphedema was never mentioned. I'd never heard of the word uh, until quite by accident in a conversation with my wife um, last summer. And. Prostate Cancer UK on their very, very good website. They hardly make any mention of it, but they have agreed they're going to rewrite some of their stuff and include lymphedema. I've asked my hospital to include lymphedema in the pre-op consent notice to patients. But of course, never I'm never going to have another can prostate cancer op, so um, I have no idea whether they will have done that, but knowing the NHS, I think they won't. Mm. Um, yeah, so I thought, well, you cover an awful lot of topics to do with men's health and neurology and what have you, so why not lymphedema? So thank you for bringing it to our attention. What I would love to know is you said that this was like, was it 15, 16 months after your operation before things started to change? 
or did the lymphedema been there and was getting worse? But tell us a bit more about that. And what it looked like as well, like how it presented that things weren't, that you knew something weird was going on. Yeah. So I, I knew from quite early on that my groin wasn't right. But I'd been warned that it could take six months or more for the um, for the for the scar scarring to go down, and uh, for that general, the, you know, the, the pubic area to to get back to normal after the operation. So I, I waited six months, but my groin always felt quite spongy, as if it was full of fluid. Strangely enough, um, and I couldn't cross my legs, and I know. Crossing your legs isn't good for you, but I actually desperately wanted to cross my legs when I was sitting down sometimes. <laughs> um, I know it's daft, but, you know, that, that those sort of things, you, you you focus on them after a while. And I, I discussed it with you. Yeah, <laughs> we're both doing it. I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> I discussed, you know, the, how my groin felt with my wife, and I mentioned it to my GP. I, I had a, a telephone appointment, so the good days of telephone appointments. Um and he just dismissed it out of hand. He said, oh, it's probably just some lymphatic fluid draining. It's nothing to worry about at all. So so I, I, I stopped worrying about it as such. And all of my follow-up appointments with the hospital following my surgery uh, ceased when COVID came. I was actually due a nine-month appointment when COVID hit. And they all moved to the telephone. And it's just not possible to discuss some of these things on the phone. Partly because you forget when you're face to face and you have pauses, you often, mm. you know, you, you can think. Mm. And I, th- I find that when I'm on the phone, it's not quite so easy to think. I know that sounds a bit daft, but there's a little bit more pressure to fill the silence on the phone than there is face to face. And it got to the point where I, I said to my wife, "I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to talk to someone about this." And my wife used to be a nurse. nothing to do with what I had but whilst we were talking with the issue of my lymph nodes being removed in my operation came up and she said well how many lymph nodes did they take and I said well 36 a lot yeah I don't quite understand why but that's what they did and my wife said well the technical term for collection of fluid like that is called lymphedema that's the first time I'd ever heard that word. And so I Googled it. And Google's brilliant when you know the name of something. When you've just got vague symptoms, you know, you, right. you, you come away, you've got every disease under the yeah. sun. Yeah, it's <laughs> like bars swelling in my groin. It could be anything, yeah. couldn't it? But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. it, could, it could have been something good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It could have been lots. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I Googled it and I said to my wife, those are my symptoms. And more to the point, it it gave a link and it said that lymphedema is often connected with cellulitis. So I clicked on the cellulitis link and that was literally like a light bulb going on because what I haven't mentioned so far is that in November 2020, I woke up one morning. The the day before, I'd, I'd felt a little bit unwell. I'd felt yuck is the way I term it. Um, uh, couldn't quite put my finger on it. It wasn't 100%. But I had a, a pain running down my right thigh as if I'd pulled a muscle. Mm-hmm. And I went to bed 
woke up in the night, wasn't feeling good, thought I got the flu, actually. When I woke up the next morning proper, I had a raging temperature, 39 point something or other. And I couldn't move my right arm. And the pain in my right shoulder was intense. Uh, so I had to go and get a COVID test, because obviously at that point you couldn't do anything with that COVID test. So that was negative. But pain in my arm just got worse and worse and worse. And I literally couldn't move it more than about two or three inches away from my body. And everything was done over the phone and trying to get people to understand I had something other than a sore shoulder was impossible. Anyway, my wife took the phone off me and said, I needed to be seen. She said, I used to be a nurse. She said, I've not seen anyone in this much pain that hasn't had an injury. So they agreed that I would have a video consultation, which lasted 30, 30 seconds. It was about ten, no, about 11 o'clock at night. And the doctor, I showed him my groin because it was very weird. My groin had gone red and was hot. And my right thigh had gone red. And he said, get yourself down to A&E. So I went to A&E and I was admitted and I didn't come out of hospital for 12 days. Um, I had surgery on my right shoulder. I had septic arthritis. Okay. Now, what I didn't know then and didn't, wasn't to know for nine, ten months was that was the, my first episode of cellulitis. In, in the shoulder or the groin? Yeah. Was well, groin no, in my, in my groin. Yeah. Sorry? So why did you have the operation on your shoulder? You had septic arthritis in your groin and your shoulder. No, no. So I had the cellulitis in my my groin. Yeah. But it would appear that it then triggered infection into my bloodstream, which gave me septic arthritis in my right shoulder. Right. And the surgeon said it was quite strange because he, after he opened up my shoulder, he said normally with septic arthritis the joint is full of pus, and he said there was nothing in your shoulder except massive amounts of inflammation. Wow. So my inflammation markers in my blood when I was admitted to A and E were 186 and I, it meant nothing to me and the doctor said well normally he said it's less than five mm. okay yeah that so, must have been your crp must have been that elevated yeah 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 so came out of hospital with from the septic arthritis and once i came off the antibiotics every fortnight i felt ill i would feel generally unwell i would ache I, my groin would go red my thigh would go red I had a temperature and for 24 36 hours I, I just felt ill and this went on from January 2021 right through until well without me knowing anything about it through until September so all through COVID I was having a temperature every other week uh, which, which made going out difficult Mm. Apart from the fact that eventually I just lied and people would say, have you had a temperature? And I'd say no, because at that point I was testing anyway and I was negative. But my temperature was nothing to do with COVID. It was simply to do mm. with my cellulitis. But I didn't know that name at that point. Mm. So once once I had a name and I, I went to my doctor and said, I know you hate people self-diagnosing, but this is what I think I've got. And they said, mm, you're right. So... My, my groin going red went from that's very strange, we don't know what it is, um, to suddenly I had a name and I could actually do something about it. So I'll just go back a step there. When you know, when you before you got the septic arthritis, the and you said that it looked strange, I know you couldn't cross your legs because it was obviously puffy, but was it really puffy down there? Like, and like when you 
touched your area around your, like your pubic bone? Was it really like kind of a like a dermatist, like puffy? It, yes, it was, but it wasn't massively so. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that what about the scrotum? Was that ever swollen? Uh, no, that no that that was fine at that point. Mm-hmm. Things things went um, rather pear shaped in about September of last year when I had some back pain and the only way I could sleep was by raising my legs over a couple of pillows and that was the worst thing I could possibly have done because that that sent my lymphedema from what I would call a very passive apart from the cellulitis because as I say just reiterating at that point I didn't know Mm. Um, apart from feeling ill every two weeks my, my lymphedema I would class as being quite passive Yes, it felt puffy, but it didn't look particularly abnormal. Um, but once I'd spent that night with my legs raised, I think that just ruined my lymphatic system. It must have trapped a lot of fluid in my groin. So now it is, uh, one doctor described it, yes, your 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 pubic area is abnormal, is, is the word that he used. He said that he didn't know whether that was abnormal for someone who'd had my surgery. Uh, but yes, it is. So it's... It's very, very, very puffy. You can tell it's full of, uh, of liquid. And the cellulitis started triggering other side effects. So, yes, my scrotum would, two days after a cellulitis attack, my scrotum started enlarging. Mm-hmm. So it would get the size of a, of a grapefruit. Uh, obviously, be really uncomfortable. Can't <laughs> <laughs> crossing my legs was the last thing on my mind by that point mm-hmm. um so yes being on my feet walking around i could do it and i did do it and i still went into work but it became very very uncomfortable and really quite sore and i had to be very very careful with regards to um any any breakdown in the skin mm-hmm. and the problem that gave me as well with with using the pump is, and I nearly I, I did freak out the first time this happened, but I used the pump and basically my foreskin became full of lymphatic fluid, mm. and, and I, yeah, I did freak out on that one. I thought I was turning into the elephant man at that point. Did you also find when you used the pump that the base of your penis kind of got really fat, so it kind of looked like a Christmas tree? No. Okay, that's good. That's no. what I've seen recently, which was from lymphedema. It started to look like a Christmas tree from that. So, yeah. Right. To, to be to be honest, I've stopped using the, the pump. Yeah, well, you wouldn't use it with lymphedema. No. Yeah. No, it, it left me feeling very heavy in, in, in that region. Um, and I did wonder whether I was simply pulling more fluid into the region, which obviously is the worst thing that you want to do. Mm. Um, things have settled down a lot now because in February, after trying for six months by changing my diet, by seeing a lymphedema specialist, uh, manual lymphatic drainage techniques, I, I gave up and I went on to permanent antibiotics. Okay. I just, I, I couldn't stand being ill every two weeks. Mm. The, the longest I ever got was that I got out to three weeks. Gosh, that's awful. And, um, I did. I did see a doctor, my, my GP, who said, um, "Well, they, these attacks aren't of yours aren't particularly bad. Um, so, do you want to come off the antibiotics?" Uh, no. You know, you can't live your life being ill 
you know, how you're supposed to go to work, how you're supposed to have uh, family time. The number of times I, my daughter and her, my grandkids would come around and I'd be spending the day in bed. <clears throat> That's horrible. Because I just had to go. What did the lymphedema specialists do for you then? Then what was the treatment? Right. So through the lymphedema support network in the UK, I was given the details of a private nurse about half an hour away from where I live, excuse me. <clears throat> and so what she does, she taught me how to do uh, manual lymphatic drainage. Uh, and she also gave me various uh, exercises to do, um, basically to try and pump that lymphatic fluid out of my groin, it back into parts of the lymphatic system, which is still working. Um, she also uses a cold laser treatment on me to stop the tissue becoming like a fibrosis and so I, I was seeing her every three weeks that's quite, getting quite good now I, I go every six weeks now um i also use kinesio tape on my groin mm -hmm. so that makes makes me feel a hell of a lot more comfortable wearing that tape i, I never really thought that a piece of sticky tape um, could make you feel so much better. Now, can you describe where you put that tape exactly? Yeah. So what I do is it goes from from the base of the penis uh, across my abdomen in a bit like a, a fan shape. Okay. So up up towards uh, up towards my belly button sort of height, and across the top of my my thighs. And that just helps to increase the compression when I'm walking and moving about. And how often do you apply that? Um, the tape can last about a week at best, usually three to four days. And then I give my skin a bit of a rest yeah, and then apply some more after that. And at the same time, I'm now also wearing compression shorts. Right. Um, <clears throat> so again, they are a godsend. Especially, it must be hard going wearing compression shorts in 40 degrees in England. <laughs> um, yeah, I did wonder how I was going to cope with that because we, we, we managed a holiday abroad at, um, at Easter time this year and actually it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, mm -hmm. to be oh. fair. I thought it was going to be horrendous, but it, it hasn't been. With the... Um so with the lymphedema nurse, it would be she's the one who taught you how to do that taping and the and the manual drainage. Yes, yes. We might so get her details off you and ask her if we could interview yeah. her on the podcast because that would be fantastic to interview someone who's dealt with this from a treatment point of view. Yeah, well, so she's she's. I have to say she's been very good. She's been a godsend to me. Mm. Um, when I had my cancer, my, my, my guardian angels were the, the, the nurses working for Prostate Cancer UK. But now that i found Karen, um, she helps my mental health as well as my lymphedema. Because you can have days, same as any illness, where you're feeling really down. But I go to see Karen and I always come back feeling really good. Mm. And, you go, um, and I did tell her about this. Sorry? You go see Karen about every... Once every six weeks now, do you? It's it's up to six weeks now, yeah. So so that's good. And how often do you do your your own lymphatic drainage? Uh, every day. Every day. How long does that take you? Um, usually about fifteen minutes or so. 
Uh, and in the in the winter, I also use um, something else she recommended, which was an infrared heat pad. Right. Okay. Because the far the far end of the infrared spectrum can help in breaking down the problematic fluid in in my groin. So I have a heat pad, which obviously I'm not using at the moment. <laughs> uh, and normally when I go to bed, I put that across my my groin for about forty five minutes to an hour, and just lie there reading a book. But it's a big time commitment too, isn't it? Like, you know, this is taking, you know, half an hour of your day every day now trying to deal with this. Yeah, I don't think it's that too much different with people um, doing their Kegel techniques to improve their continence. Yeah, that's true. Um, But when you've got to do it, you've got to do it, haven't you, really? That's that's the bottom line. It sounds like you are managing it well now despite a very protracted Onset. I want to go right back to the beginning. Here in Australia or in Western Australia, I used to do uh, the lymph node removal as standard care during the procedure. And I know along the way that at some stage it was recommended to only do it if the cancer is at a certain grade or at a, a slightly more complex level. And so it moved away from being a common thing to do. And here I've had patients who've had up to 45 lymph nodes taken away, but not for several years. It seems to have gone completely out of um, trend to take those as a precaution in low-grade cancers or sort of more contained cancers with prostate cancer. So... In your own experience, have you come across many other men who have had similar? I I get the impression that it's still standard over here to remove them. I mean, my surgeon was was adamant from before my operation that my cancer hadn't spread. Mm, and you, you despite mean, some hiccups. Yeah. Sorry? Sorry, you carry on. So despite some hiccups along the way, he was actually proved right. But he still took 36 lymph nodes out. Um, and a friend of mine had the operation just over a year ago. He had 25 taken out, but he hasn't developed any form of lymphedema. So mm, It's definitely not standard care here anymore. It's only for like Gleason 8, Gleason 9, and they'll only take uh, adjacent ones, maybe three to seven at the most. So I, I did see it a lot in my earlier career, but I haven't come across it recently. So uh, interesting the tra- my Gleason score was seven. Okay. Melissa, can you tell us about the patient you saw yesterday? Yeah, so this guy had some lymph nodes removed because the cancer was in it and he was doing famously, and he's about nine months post-op now, um, and he's been using the pump and doing everything he should be doing, but he's getting more and more swollen like at that like pudendal area, like, you know, just around the outside of the penis and... When he gets an erection now, he's getting this really fat base and then it goes to a normal at the end. So it's like a Christmas tree. Right, yeah. Um, and so I've seen, I actually saw him a few months ago as well and when I first saw him, it was really like early on in the stage. And so I asked the surgeon about it and he suggested to get a small bandage and then wrap it from the head down to the base and leave it there for 10 minutes a day. And that did relieve it. Um, and it was all going well. And then when I saw him a couple of days ago, it's doing it again. So I've told him to completely stop doing the um, using the pump at all. And I've referred him 
to a lymphedema nurse in Perth because um, I was just like, yeah, he needs more done. So I'm going to be interested to follow him up and see how he's gone. And the other guy that I saw that got lymphedema after prostate surgery was the same. He had a lot of, he had like, he had like 34 or something, some terrible large amount of lymph nodes removed because he had quite extensive cancer. And he actually got the lymphedema in his one, only one leg. And so, but I recognise that immediately because I've seen lymphedema in breast cancer patients. So I straight away referred him to the um, lymphedema nurse. But yeah, this penis, when I first saw it, I was like, that's what it looks like because it was puffy and, but I couldn't kind of get my head around how it happened. (laughs) And he'd only had a few lymph nodes moved, but that is what it is. So yeah, we'll treat that now. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting you mentioned breast cancer there because some friends of my wife have, have had breast cancer, had mastectomies. Mm. And even prior to their operation, they're warned about the, the, the fact that they could get lymphedema, mm. what to look out for, and even given compression garments before they have had their operation. Mm. Whereas over here, it would appear that there are plenty of urology surgeons who won't even acknowledge the existence of lymphedema in the men that they've treated. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because as I say, I've only seen it twice, but I've only been doing this sort of work for seven years now. So, Joe, have you seen it much? I've seen about five cases. Mm, and Joe's been doing it for a long, long but time. That was with two particular surgeons who used to take a lot of lymph nodes, mm. but no longer do. So I haven't actually seen it recently. About two years ago, we had a patient who had radiation and he'd had very aggressive cancer. So that was um, there was a lot of lymph nodes damaged during his radiation therapy. So that's about the only time I've seen it in recent, in the last mm. three years. But yeah, uh, so different that it's, we would anticipate you you over there in the UK having standard care of quite a large number of lymph nodes. So we've got to get to the bottom of that. And also, I'm interested to know, you said that the lymphedema nurse told you about changing your diet and things as well. What sort of dietary changes have you made? I'm assuming less salt. And other than that, I don't know. Well, tended not to eat too much salt anywhere. I mean, to be honest, we felt that we we had quite a healthy diet, but there were aspects of it that I could improve, and I did. So I always liked white bread, mm-hmm. and I love white bread toast. Yeah. <laughs> but white bread is not good because it incre- in- increases the chance of informa- information within the body. Mm-hmm. And also processed foods, so like processed ham, which, again, I loved. You know, ham sandwich for me was a, a go-to lunch. Yeah. So I've changed yeah. the bread. I don't think I've eaten any processed ham now in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so processed foods have generally dropped off amazingly. Uh, I haven't given up a lot of things. I still have them occasionally, but I've gone from a situation where those things I used to have almost daily. So, you know, processed foods, uh, white breads, as you say, salt uh, were, were some of the biggest things. Yeah. And you'd said um, that you'd had some back trouble as well. Have, did you get any other episodes of septic arthritis anywhere else? No touch would. Uh, I don't ever want that again. Um, okay. so your, your back wasn't related to, to the cellulitis problem? No. 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 Uh, no, not at all. Okay, that's good. So they're just, just some good old-fashioned back pain. And now that you've been on uh, continuous antibiotics, how long has that been for? 
I started at the end of February. Uh, initially, I've been taken off the ones I initially went on because the microbiology department at my hospital apparently had a bit of a fit when they saw what I'd been prescribed. Okay. Uh, um, so I've been taken off those uh, and gone on to a new set of antibiotics, which are penicillin-based. And have you kept well since that? haven't had a single day's illness since the beginning of February. Oh, wonderful. That's so good. That's great. I'm so glad that you contacted um, us and wanted to come on because this is a great conversation that we haven't had before. And if you could email us Karen's details, I'm going to ask her if she'll talk to us soon because it would be really great to find out. She probably has the answers about whether it's standard care in the UK to remove limps or not. And it might be a question that any men listening that are pre-surgery might actually want to ask their surgeon about, like, is there an option not to have them removed? Yeah, or at least to know about it. A discussion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if I'd known and I'd looked it up, I would still have had the operation, mm. you know, without a doubt. Yeah. But if I'd known about it, I would probably not have spent the last two years <laughs> going through illnesses that I didn't really need to go through. I mean, it wouldn't have stopped the lymphedema, um, but that's neither here nor there, really. But you would have it's had simply the battle. Yeah. Yes, yeah, just the battle. Um, and it's, it's it's trying to find more and more information. I, I mean, only last week, Karen told me about a new website that I'd never seen before, which is called Lymphedema United. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been set up by uh, someone who has had lymphedema and has brought together a whole series of, of experts um, to provide online help. Because I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in, in the UK, virtually everyone who's connected with lymphedema appears to be a nurse. It's very diff- difficult to find a doctor. We have a few yeah. physiotherapists and occupational therapists here that I've worked with um, previously, but it is quite specialised training and there's not too many people because it's quite labour-intensive as well, um, providing infodema massage to patients all day long. So it's not hugely popular, actually. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not aware that you can get that on the NHS over here. I, I certainly couldn't. Um, so I go to a, that's it. Karen is a private nurse, um, but yeah, couldn't have got through the last the last year or so without her. But so, I will definitely speak to her. She she does know I'm appearing on this. Oh, and she did say that she did say that she she wanted to listen uh, once it's broadcast. Well, so I will ask. Great, yeah. that'd be wonderful. So I just wanted to do a little bit of a general information about lymphedema. So lymphedema is basically swelling. Did you have any pain at the beginning? No. No. And do you think it gradually got worse over time? Um, No, it didn't gradually get worse. I think it just stayed basically stayed the same until I had that back pain episode last year when it just seemed to go crazy from that point onwards. When you pop your legs up in the air. Mm. Yeah. So, so just for the general awareness, the lymphatic system is basically the body's own tissue drainage system and it's supposed to function normally and fluid's not supposed to collect in any particular area so lymph nodes are special little uh, clusters of organs that basically filter the blood of all its waste and when there's infections and problems that's when there's often a, uh, a swelling say in the groin for example but then when you come along you remove some of those lymph nodes there's not really the same filtering system going on so everything tends to collect and then 
you get this edematous puffy features. So it's a part of the circulatory system that not a lot of people realise actually have, but it's absolutely critical to ensure we have good healthy immune systems. So, so when your lymph nodes swell up or there's a problem, they're usually identifying us of infection or alerting us to a problem. So uh, once again, any changes that um, guys notice that are unusual, keep on asking, keep on searching, just like you did. And what a, what a fortuitous thing that your wife's a nurse also and she had that conversation with you. Definitely. Um, there's been a few instances where she has uh, basically used her training from many, many years ago and has proved to be spot on. It's quite interesting, actually, because most husbands complain that they're like a mechanic's car when they're married to a nurse. So your wife sounds, my husband would agree that he's a mechanic's car, not very well looked after, probably. So um, it sounds like your wife is um, a particularly good nurse that she actually nurses the people in her house. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I say, she has been really good. Um, in the midst of all of these other problems, I um, I started getting a very bad stomach pain. And the very first time my wife saw me having this pain, she said, I reckon you've got gallstones. And sure enough, uh, that was another trip to hospital and another bit of my body that's been taken out and thrown in the scrap heap. So yeah, now, she, have you, did you get COVID in all these trips to the hospital <laughs> in the peak of COVID? That's what I want to know. No, no, I've not had COVID touch wood. And at, during the first and second lockdowns in the UK, I, I went and actually worked in a hospital. Really? And, yeah, uh, I, I, I got a job uh, ostensibly collecting blood samples from GP surgeries and taking them to um, pathology. Uh, didn't actually do that because on my first day, they said to me, we've lost most of our portering team to COVID. Can you help out? So I was actually working as a hospital porter, going on to COVID wards and what have you. And you didn't get COVID? Um, nope, not had COVID at all. And the last year I've been working at a vaccination centre. Didn't get wow. COVID from that either. Wow, amazing. <laughs> well, have you got anything else you'd like to share with us or advise other men who might be listening, Rob? Well, one thing I would like to say to other men is... A, get yourself checked, and I'm into talking in terms of prostate cancer here. You know, once people get to 50, they ought to be asking. I didn't know, so I couldn't ask. Uh, once you do know, you ought to. And don't just assume that your health, if you're in good health, will stay. Because in the 19 years before my cancer, I had four days off sick. Yeah. And I rather blithely assumed that that would carry on through the rest of my life um but you know it's that old saying you never know what's around the corner so don't take your health for granted and go and get yourself checked out great i'm going to give a, sorry you go no it's all right you go ahead i was just thinking i want to give a plug to one of our patients from perth ross he's about he's going over in september to england and he's running in the um, London Marathon to raise money for the Prostate Cancer Foundation. So um, he's always wanted to do the London Marathon, apparently, and he's had prostate cancer about 18 months ago now, and he's fighting fit. So he's going to be wearing a T-shirt from Australia and running in the 
in the marathon. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Exactly that. He's going to be wearing that. And, um, yes, so, and he's also now got a big logo of restorative sexual health clinic printed on the back of his shirt, so you'll see the difference. Um, <laughs> but I'm also going to send out a link. If anyone wants to do a donation to Ross, then it'll go to Prostate Cancer Foundation. So I'll put that in the show notes as well if anyone's listening wants to support that. And Rob, I just want to say good on you for also um, taking it that one step further to try and get education a little bit better before the operation and contacting all those people you mentioned earlier to just make sure that this is a conversation that happens. Yep, thanks very much. If I can just help one, isn't that the old adage? Help one, at least you've done something. We're gonna, I'm sure you're going to help more than one. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. tell you about a boy who lives inside me he's been there all of my life hi this is dr joe thank you so much for listening to our podcast we're getting so many emails so many questions and so much feedback and melissa and i are absolutely thrilled about this what we'd really love you to do though is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases and this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. just a mystery to me. my own now it fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man